how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 445 of the podcast. Today I sat down with Allison Levy and Alyssa Nutting, the creators of the Adult Swim series Teenage Euthanasia. The plot of the show is a former runaway teen mom is accidentally resurrected in her family's funeral home, giving her a second chance to raise her now teenage daughter. This is the unusual plot behind the show Teenage Euthanasia. In this interview, we talk about why Adult Swim and other animation networks say they mostly have a male audience, what it's like to be some of the first female creators for a series like this, their left field vision for the show, and what it means to have a weirdo's writer's room along with creating realms the audience is not expecting. If it's your first time here, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can also... And head over to brockswinson.com to get my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, based on this podcast for free. That's the book and audiobook over at brockswinson.com. I just really like always have, you know, what I would like to be do, doing at any moment um, is watching something like it, you know, it, it doesn't matter kind of what else I'm not, um, you know, I'm not like, oh, let's go for a hike. You know, um, I'm not like really into any hobbies. You know, I, I just I love narrative and I love story. Um, and I just like want to live in that all the time um, as as much as possible. And I grew up in in central Florida, really, really far from Hollywood. Um, so it, it kind of like took me alternate paths to to get here. Um, I, I was sort of a late bloomer um, in, in the industry. I first kind of did a, a literary slash creative writing professor um, first life uh, before I, you know, pivoted, but it was always, you know, where I knew I wanted to be. I just wasn't that sure how to get there or break in. So it, it took me a while, but um, I did finally arrive. This is Allison. I'm also a really late bloomer to this. Um, I started as a visual artist and then I worked with my partners in PFR, John Lee and Vernon Chapman. Vernon's well-known comedy writer and sort of work producing stuff and and working on stuff with them but they were primarily the writers and I produced or did art direction and would sort of be on set and add jokes and add thoughts and give notes and then you know at a certain point I was like I think I actually want to do this on my own or find someone to do it with that you know would be a good partner and then um actually I've learned a lot from Alyssa um, and as this sort of being the first show I've ever really, you know, really owned the writing of after working on, you know, 10 series or something leading up to this. Maybe a question for Alyssa or, or for both of you. Um, do you think like, years ago you had to be in New York, or LA? Do you feel like you still have to be there or can you get pretty good far enough along to, to get your name noticed or get your stuff read? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, the, um, you know, I, I think certainly uh, once you get to um, a, a high level of success, you know, that's absolutely possible. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I think about like the righteous gemstones, you know, guys, and, and just like the ability to kind of like carve out, uh, you know, like a space wherever in the country you want, you know, and have all your people there, uh, kind of like the, uh, the Mr. Beast model, you know, um, to, uh, to, to talk about an influencer example. But I think that, you know, with the pandemic writers rooms, you know, we really got to see a lot of advantages to those being online. Um, you know, there are certainly disadvantages as well, but um, it, it is really wonderful how it opens up access, you know, to, um, to people outside of, you know, these like very expensive metropolitan areas. Um, and also just sort of like the diversity that it allows in the room of, you know, being able to have someone in the room who's in London, you know, and someone who's in Boise and someone who's in New York, you know, as long as like everyone's willing, you know, to agree on a time, um, you know, like these things are possible in a way that they were never possible with with physical rooms. So I'm not sure what the future holds. But I do know that, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciated a lot of advantages about about online rooms. Yeah. And I mean, we've produced a lot of things and, you know, we worked with this guy, Todd Rohol, who also, I don't know, maybe you've heard of him, but, you know, he's done a lot of shorts and he was like an Austin person. Like, I feel like there are other places too. Um, and I think especially with the internet, I, I don't, unless you're desperate to really be like an LA person, mm -hmm. I'm a New York person. And I, I feel like New York writing was always kind of, unless you're writing for the, the nighttime shows, it's like, you could really kind of be anywhere. Um, I mean, I like living in Brooklyn, but I, I don't, we, you know, I've, we've talked to people all over the place and tried to help people make shows who live all over the place. What, what's some like common advice you might give to those people? I mean, when I think about a show like this, it's, it is such a unique voice. It's so different from other things out there. Is that what you're looking for when you're possibly like mentoring someone or providing advice? Then what, what does that advice look like? I mean, for me, that's been a huge thing I've tried to do many different times with in different ways. Um, it's really hard to, um, break through as an outsider person or I always say it's like it's hard when you're a weirdo it's harder if you're like a woman and a weirdo or like a queer person who's a weirdo like it starts to just get progressively harder but even if you just start with weirdo um it it's very is a very small lane um but there's a there's a real community of weirdos I've found um and you you know I think it's like about becoming part of like as much as you can, like connecting with other lonely weirdos that, you know, who are maybe doing a little bit better than you. Um, and my partner and my husband, John uh, Lee, who, uh, you know, he like is always, you know, out there and, so, you know, people reach out, he'll follow up. He's really good at it. I'm a little more shy, but, you know, I find myself being very drawn to really young women, especially who want to do animation, because I feel like that is, that's like another bar on top of everything else. And, you know, just, I feel like us making a second season, we somehow cleared that bar um, that very few women have cleared. And so I, you know, I'm really, I actively do read things that people send or try to talk with them or just be like, uh, you know, give me a call if somebody does something and it seems really weird and I'll let you know how weird it is. Um, or if it's just bad, but normal. Um, so I think it's good to find, you know, people like 
me and Melissa and, you know, people who are doing the thing you want to be doing. And most people are pretty nice about it, I think. And it's easy to reach out now. You know, it was a lot harder before the, you know, internet. What was some of the structure of your writer's room like, especially for those times when you're in Zoom as opposed to like in person? How did you, you know, once you figure out the time, how did it actually work during that hour or so, a couple hours? Um, well, we we would usually kind of have, um, we definitely began, you know, just sort of like with a lot of uh, blue sky conversations, um, you know, like generating ideas. Uh, I do find that on Zoom rooms, kind of there's a fatigue level that kicks in, you know, just kind of like monitor fatigue, tech fatigue, um, you know, being alone in a room fatigue. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes there were either, yeah, kind of like breaks or, you know, there would be like morning would be, you know, meeting on Zoom and afternoon would be kind of like homework, you know, sessions where um, we would go write, you know, or, or kind of like have have assignments, um, you know, be, be sort of like generating ideas or outlines or thinking about things that, you know, then the next morning we could come together you know, during, during the morning hours and, and share. Um, I've, I've, you know, been in, in rooms that have kind of like run the gamut of, of time, you know, and, and I do know that, I don't know, for me personally, like, I think I'm at my best on, on Zoom for maybe like four hours. That's kind of where I, I tend to, you know, need, need to mix it up or lunch break. Um, I don't know. I just know for me, like, it's very, it's very hard to go back to the computer after lunch. If you've, you know, been on it all morning, um, in, in terms of just kind of like creative pursuit. So I, I like to break up the day between independent writing and conversation. Yeah. Our, our we were, we didn't meet that much actually our room. It, you know, we really, we, it was, I think, five, four or five weeks of just people just coming up with ideas, everyone every night, you know, we'd talk for a few hours and then people would have to, you know, on their own come in with like five ideas. And we may say like, okay, five ideas, you know, but you know, we wanted to be a Pete and trophy story, like come up with like a Pete and trophy story. And then, you know, so we sort of did that very loose. And then we sort of kind of picked, like we had 10 episodes, like, and then, you know, then the room got smaller and everyone started just sort of writing outlines, then writing scripts. And then the same group, I think it was four. And then they did it again, like over maybe three or four weeks. Like, So, you know, it was, I think it might just be a nature of Alyssa and my, both of our personalities. Like, I just don't think we benefit from that much chat. It's easier for us to just see something that's written and rewrite or give notes. I, 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 I also just find myself like it's kind of fun. Um, but I'd rather see people just write up stuff and look at it than just keep talking where I think, you know, everybody's different, but yeah. Is there like a, a lane or a line you don't cross with a show like this? It seems like a lot of shows on Adult Swim, you can kind of go in a hundred or a million different directions. Is there everything or any, any ideas that came up that were just too far off or um, how do you kind of define the show in terms of like the style and the tone and the voice? I mean, um, goblin core is kind of one <laughs> one word that's I think you know come up a lot with with Florida that we like it. I mean, I also do feel like it has a very um, 
yeah, sort of like, you know, weird. Um, I don't know if, if feminine is the right word, but, um, but there, there is kind of a, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think you can watch the show and tell that um, women are heavily involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I think yeah. there's like a, wor- a weird girl thing weird to girl. Yeah. that I feel like I was looking for for a long, long time because I made a lot of adult swim shows before this and we'd never had one with a, we'd never been able to sell one with women as the creators. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, especially, I feel like there's so many women in animation who work in it now versus even 15 years ago. And I, I think, um, you know, for us in this, I, I think uh, we, we're just always also trying to push the stories. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's not like a conventional stories that women tell either. You know, it's not a lot about dating or you know I I don't know just sort of a real convention of that either so I I think it's like um I think it fits into kind of the grand canon of Adult Swim but it it's it's I feel like we also it comes naturally to us for our family to feel like a real family and not just like a joke machine Mm -hmm. um but it is a very personal show and um, you know, I, I feel like it does represent like what we were trying to say about families and parents and daughters and mothers. And, uh, you know, we're both mothers and both have daughters. And I think, you know, it's just a very left field version of, I think, you know, kind of a mother canon too of like, you know, women trying to write shows about motherhood. I, I, I'm glad ours is out there and in that, but it, I think it's just, there's so many sci-fi elements and just general, you know, bizarre thoughts that we have. It, it's just able to hold all those things. And it has to feel like an idea that couldn't be on another show, mm-hmm. you know, to us. Like that, that we wouldn't, like if it could be on some other kind of family show, it wouldn't make sense on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to, you know, if someone has an idea, just has to get teenage euthanasia eyes, um, you know, before it like, but any idea can kind of work. Like when anyone says anything in the room, it's like, okay, like, great. Let's figure out how that can work in our show. Like, I think anything kind of can, um, it just has to move into a, a realm that you're not expecting, or that's what we, we hope. That it does. Yeah. does that mean maybe you spend less time on the, general plot ideas and more times like developing and making it making it your own voice is that kind of how you think about it i think we spend you know pretty equal time on on both and i think even kind of the plot is infused with with that you know the even sort of like the plot is infused with the voice um you know i mean just for example in in you know season two like um annie really wants to get to second base you know and um pete discovers foreskin you know which he didn't know about uh you know and and these are plot points right but they're also very very much you know part of who the characters are and for you know part of our sensibility part of like the voice of the show and kind of like Part of like amplifying, you know, these sort of like really uh, personal, um, you know, sort of like outsider character struggles. 
uh, that, you know, that maybe wouldn't normally, um, you know, be like an, an A story or a B story uh, in a show. Right. Like a good example for me is like, there's been so many shows where it's like, oh, we're trying to get the make teen girls to like not get pregnant. Um, and our show, like, you know, someone had the idea. So she like, you know, cause we live in this, our show lives in this alternative reality future. And so, you know, they're like total dystopic ideas that the girls get impregnated with a baby like a, a robot baby that grows, then they have to actually give birth. This all happens like within the first, you know, 10 hours of being like inseminated. Like it's all from the US government. Then Annie has to like, you know, de deal with this baby that's like alive. And, you know, their, their main goal is to not shake the baby. Um, So I just feel like that's like a perfect example. Like, oh yeah, you know, kids take home ducklings or like a potato or whatever it is. But like, I like the idea this season for whatever reason deals a lot with like reproductive stuff. We always have a lot of that and sex ed and different, you know, sexuality, but it sort of, uh, I don't know, goes through the, the weirdo machine and ends up, I think, feeling like teenage euthanasia. Is there anything you, you kind of do when you're approaching the writer's room in terms of like, making people feel comfortable being vulnerable with personal stories do you share your own like how do you kind of or is it just like a timing issue how do you start to have those conversations to be open to share i mean we're both really nice <laughs> I don't think we're asking people also i don't think we're asking people to like no. fill their secrets like keep it not at all like yeah, I, no, i'm trying to think of any personal questions. story that someone even related to us um i think that's not where we're at uh i think it's like um things should come from something that mm -hmm. maybe you've experienced or something but, but I, it just gets very more scatological in sort of how people I think are more trying to come up with like what's like the craziest thing that could happen here or like okay yeah Pete should have a baseball team he loves baseball that's sort of been established as some kind of dumb thing about Pete he loves baseball um but okay so he gets to coach this little league team yeah they're all going to be brothers okay <laughs> so then but the mother's in jail but then they have another team and that team actually is all Pete's sperm donor children, you know, that he doesn't know that he had like, so this is no one's personal experience. We're not asking you to I share. I mean, we don't you know, know that, you know, we don't 100% know that. Um, there, there are some people who it, it's possible. It's possible. I'm just going to leave that. I feel like as a, you know, anyone familiar with any of the shows I've made, that is also, we are not, I don't come from the confessional world of, you know, creativity uh it may it all comes from you but it's not that's nothing we've ever asked people to do or shared that much ourselves maybe a little bit but mm -hmm. not much no yeah i mean i think we keep it pretty grounded in the characters um and you know there there are probably various uh personal experiences you know that we all have where with any given character you know they allow us to relate to them um in in certain ways but yeah i would i would say uh empathy you know with uh with um you know selfish mothers and <laughs> you know uh awkward teens and all that you know is required but um but certainly not personal experience 
you guys feel certain pressures from either like the responsibility of kind of, you know, being female creators in terms of either what the show looks like or the success of the show? Do you talk about that or is it just more in the background? How do you think about some of those things? I mean, I think a lot about our room. Our room was really mostly women and not necessarily experienced writers. You know, we're not about that. Uh, I'm. We're. Uh, I think that, and and just even how we we really give people chances. Like I I feel like that it, there's not some kind of which I don't know if it's more female or more us or whatever, but that feels to be whether it's like our animation director. Uh, our art director had never worked on a TV show. Um, I don't know. We just sort of bring in a lot of people that, you know, are new to the process, which I've always liked to do a lot. And and then in terms of the success, I think there is a lot of pressure and I try never to think about it. Um, <laughs> we, try, we probably try never to talk about it because there it's there's just no women created animated show that's been successful. Like in a way, there's no Simpson, South Park, Bob's Burgers. Mm -hmm. There is none. And until there is, Rick and Morty, whichever one you want to talk about, there's barely one that's made it past a second or third season. Mm -hmm. So there is no model for this. It, 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 there, and, and, you know, even the executives are like, why don't women make, you know, animated shows? Like, there's not a lot of chances. There's, if you have, you know, it, you have to really believe in the project. They take a long time to build animated shows. I think, you know, even something like Bob's Burgers took like four or five seasons to really get going. I, I think if you're, it's, it's just, it's a very hard medium uh, until some woman like cracks the code on it. Like, I, I don't think people will believe that it's possible or something. Do you know what it was that was different about this pitch or this idea that kind of got the green light? Is like even looking back, do you, are you aware of what it is or is it still kind of too complicated to figure out? I mean, it wasn't immediate for sure, you know, um, and it changed a lot. Um, you know, Trophy's character was a ghost, you know, when, when I think when, when we first started, you know, and then like gradually became this, you know, reanimated corpse um but you know we did like two animatics and you know so many different rewrites you know, pilot scripts and rewrites and um you know it was it was you know i think about four years you know of of development you know before before we got a green light so um it was you know it was a it was a process for sure uh, yeah, it's a good example of just not giving up. Yeah. You know, like we we could have at any point been like, you know what? Like, this is so annoying. Like, we can't. Like, how are we ever going to thread this needle? Yeah. And the like, but I think it was that. And, you know, honestly, it's also like me and my partners at PFR had a really great relationship with Adult Swim. And I think that got us in a bit. But I think, I think just a couple of the people who were there actually really liked it. Um None of them work there anymore. But like, um, you know, I, I think that they all, they did actually want to do as a, you know, animation network, like wanted to, to make a half hour animated show with beyond just women creators, like women in the show. Like our show also has a lot of women characters, which most animated shows don't have either. Um, so I think they wanted to do it. I just don't. I, 
I, they just were probably worried. Like, you know, in the beginning, they gave us this note, which like, don't make this show so domestic, mm. um, which, <laughs> you know, like at the big time at the beginning, we could have taken a real offense to that. Um, you know, I think they thought they were just going to like go to the mall or like, I don't know what they thought they were going to do. But like, um, you know, I think we had to prove that we weren't domestic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think we did. <laughs> That's a really interesting. Now I'm trying to think of what the opposite of that even is. I don't the know. one for me is how that, you know, it's kind of, this is too urban. Oh. That's like, it, to me, it's like the version of that or mm. niche. These are all the terms I'm more familiar with, but domestic, I'd actually not heard till ours, but, um, yeah, domestic. Are any things changing, like in a result of the show? Do you hope that I don't like? Are they assuming that just little boys are watching cartoons and they grow up to be animators? Is that is that the assumption of what it's been up until now? Like, how do they see things? You know, I, you know, I don't really know. Like to be quite honest, they'll say the audience is more male at Adult Swim. That's always mm -hmm. been the thing. I've again been there a really long time, but all the shows I've happened to work on, whether it was Xavier, Delocated. Harchie Holler, you know, we used to do before the pandemic, like lots of screenings or whatever. And we were always like half and half, 50, 50 male and women. We always had a lot of female characters in our shows, mm -hmm. but a lot of shows um, don't have any female characters or very few. So I think, I think it's just a matter of making people feel included and, you know, having, you know, somewhere to get into it. Like, I mean, I think that helps a lot. We're almost out of time. Um, as you got, as you're reading scripts and maybe filling the writer's room, you said you're open to looking at outside voices and you know new people and everything else. What has to stand out in a script for you? Is there any is there any like bad things people are doing, or is it just an intangible that that's a voice type thing? Like what really stands out when you're reading screenplays, trying to fill the writer's room? I mean, it, I think if I laugh, you know, that's obvious. <laughs> That's always a good sign. Um, and of course, you know, there are there are different types of humor, you know, so it's kind of like, is this a type of humor that that sort of is aligned with the sensibility of the show? I think really, um, you know, in, in, for me personally, like the only kind of like turn off is um, a, a lack of research you know, where it just feels like someone is carpet bombing, you know, like a script to, you know, all of these places without maybe having watched the show or understanding, you know, what kind of tone and humor, you know, and voice like the show would be looking for. That's not, you know, to say that like a, a sample has to, you know, in any way resemble it. But um, I think like in, in some way, you know, we're wanting to see like what what affinity you know would would this kind of like writer have or you know what what could they bring to the show and and bring to you know the room and like is that you know something that they're they're telling us you know kind of like in in person is that you know being conveyed you know sort of like with a submission um all of those things i i think are are great factors yeah, I think too, even, you know, the comedy is probably the biggest, really, because there's all kinds of shows and all kinds of comedy. And like, even sometimes we'll just look at like someone's Twitter or something and be like, oh, okay, 
Like yeah. these are the kind of people that think our show is funny mm-hmm. and will be able to get into the headspace of our show. Whereas, you know, if you're filling the writer's room for like a network sitcom, you'd probably be looking for different people. And so for us, because the show can't, should go to such odd places, you want people who are not part of some kind of formula or something. Uh, you know, that's the most helpful to us is like the people that come up with the crazy ideas because in the end, we, <laughs> the two of us rewrite the scripts over and over and over and over and over again by ourselves. And so it's really just finding people who we either think of things we never would, which I love, mm-hmm. you know, or think of things that like feel like they'll fit. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. And if it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.